Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Right now on Fast, from hot to not, semi-slumping, housing humbled, and two of this year's IT stocks, Tesla and Netflix, coming back to Earth after earnings. So is this the beginning of a real reversal? We'll debate. Plus, winning time, the Dow now riding a nine-day winning streak, and the transport struck and higher as well. We'll chart the next moves for these averages coming up. And later, the Barbie effect, as the legendary doll gets set to hit the big screen. Could the movie give Mattel a lasting bottom line boost? We're going to go inside the numbers. I'm Courtney Reagan in this evening for Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, we have Karen Fireman, Dan Nathan, Guy Dami, and the chart master himself, Carter Worth of Worth Charting. So let's dig in. And as we start, we're going to talk about the setback in the AI trade. Shares of Taiwan Semi falling more than 5% today. The world's largest chipmaker reporting its first profit drop in four years. Taiwan Semi putting pressure on the NASDAQ today. The tech-heavy index dropping over 2%. CNBC's Christina Parsonevelis is here with the Semi Slump. Hi, Christina. Hi. Well, let's talk about the, what the message was. The AI hype can only go so far. That's exactly what TSMC's management, I'm paraphrasing, said on their earnings call really early tonight because AI only contributes 6% of total TSMC revenue. Yes, that 6% should grow to double digits in five years, according to the company, but it's still not growing fast enough to offset the weakness that we're seeing at smartphones as well as PCs, which is a much bigger percentage of industry revenue. TSMC, like you pointed out, fell 5%, but it also brought down the sector, like uh, the SMH, a good barometer. Other equipment names, too, that you're seeing on your screen got hit hard because TSMC reiterated its capital uh, expenditure spend at the low end of the range. TSMC also plans to slow down production of its Arizona hub due to lack of skilled workers here in the U.S., highlighting another issue for equipment makers. So is now the time to buy the dip, especially when demand for electronics continues to be weak in the second half of this year, according to TSMC. Morgan Stanley, Mizuho both say buy since TSMC's long-term growth remains unchanged. JP Morgan thinks the stock will reset lower in the next few months, but gains over the next few years, aka a long-term hold. Bottom line, artificial intelligence compute demand exceeds supply. We've seen that with NVIDIA's conversations, but this PC smartphone business continues to remain depressed, especially in the near term. Court. Christina, thank you so much. Very comprehensive report here. Dan, you've been talking about this hype premium for all things AI for some time. What did you make today of some of those comments and the small percentage of the business that exists right now for artificial intelligence for TSMC? Yeah, and that's really the story, right? And, and again, I mean, I think Karen has been really um, articulate about this over the last couple of months. I mean, this is going to be a secular trend that's going to play out for a very long time. But in the market cycle that we're in right now, it's dr- drawn a lot of enthusiasm. It's pushed valuations in this space to a place that that you're not usually that familiar with when it comes to kind of chip companies. So hearing this from a company like that, I think is really important, you know, 6% of their sales. And you think about who are some of their biggest customers. Apple is a 23% customer. NVIDIA is a 6% customer. Qualcomm, AMD are high single digits. I mean, these are things that should seep in, you know, in, in, in through the industry a little bit because I think we have gotten a little excited. Guy will tell you on the AMD, I'm just going to kick it over to you, what's happened in that stock in the last three months since they last reported 
So to me, I think this is a lot of what we're going to hear during earnings season because a lot of these stocks have run into it. The valuations have gotten a little extended. What's going on in China is not supportive, specifically in this space for the valuations and the price appreciation we've seen of late. From the CEO, I'm going to read for a second. This is of Taiwan Semi. While we have seen observed an increase in AI-related demand, it's not enough to offset the overall cyclicality of our business. That's Taiwan Semi. We've said this. I believe it. I'm not suggesting I'm right, but I think it's one of the five most important companies in the world. Market cap probably backs that up to a point. So when they make comments like that, and Karen can speak to this, we're not discounting the fact that AI is here to stay or is tremendous secular headwinds. I think what we've been trying to say is the valuations have gotten themselves off kelter. So NVIDIA traded off today. I'm surprised it didn't trade off more. But I think they're telling you it's going to happen, but the hype has just gotten way ahead of itself right now. So, Karen, that's a good point. I mean, is this not a trade? Is this a long-term hold, as some of these analysts were kind of looking at here today? For me, it is. Yeah, I'm not going to trade around it. I do believe in the AI as being transformative and NVIDIA being right in the heart of it. And so I don't think it's going to trade at fair value all the way along. It's going to go way above. It's going to go below. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some more weakness continue here. But I do think the fundamental thesis, nothing has changed at all. And if anything, I think there's more demand for AI and from, you know, everywhere wants to have an AI presence in some way. And I think that's just going to be more demand for NVIDIA and whoever else may come along to compete. But right now it's just them. So I'm staying with the trade. I, I absolutely could see it trading down further. That wouldn't surprise me at all. We have August 23rd, I think, is when they mm. next report. And even though it's only a little over a month away in this world, that's that's a long, <laughs> long time, right? A lot of things can happen. But I don't think anything's going to happen enough to make me say, I don't want to be in the AI trade anymore. So I'm just going to stick with the volatility. I wouldn't be surprised, given the run the whole space has had. This is just a small pullback. If you pull back from where the charts have been, there's still a lot of downside, but I'm hanging in for the long term. Yeah, Carter, I was going to say, sort of speaking of the trend, the SMH is up something like, what, 53% year to date, even if it was down today. It probably doesn't break out of the trend. Not at all. Meaning, just as Karen articulated, it's a small thing in the context of a very steep, uncorrected move. The question is, is this finished? Mm. Typically, one day doesn't solve. So we know sequencing is important. Independent of what one's long-term view is, if you're ever steep and uncorrected, just as if you're plunging, you get counter-trend moves. Look at the banks. They were plunging. What are they doing now? They're recovering. Um, if you get too steep, you get a pullback. Pullbacks are not likely to stop after one day. One should uh, just consider this. Since June 1st, the Russell 3000 has almost tripled the performance of the Sox. The Russell 2000, excuse me, small caps. Hmm. So it's just a function of big names um, struggling here. Dan, earlier you mentioned Apple being such an important client to TSMC. I, I mean, what's the read through there? How should we think through that? Yeah, it has nothing to do with, I think, a lot of the AI stuff we're talking about. Right. It really is about smartphones. It's probably about Chinese demand. But I'll just say this about the, the NVIDIA. You know, since it last reported, it's gained more than $400 billion in market cap on a $4 billion revenue beat in the quarter. This is the poster child. You can timestamp it right here for this bubble that we're in. And it is a bubble. I'm not telling you that the tech won't materialize and it won't transform a lot of businesses and we won't see higher rates of productivity. But in the near term, think about this. Think about how much demand there is for these 
chips to go into these products because these massive um, big platform companies need to be competing. Look at the headline we heard from Apple. It was a Bloomberg story earlier in the week that they're rushing to catch up, right, to put something out there to compete with Microsoft and Google. So you have double, triple ordering. You have the Chinese who can't buy these chips, who are buying them at exorbitant prices in the gray market and stuff like that. There is a bubble right now in demand for these things. There's really no commercialization for these things right now. And if you think about it, when we finally do see top line revenues coming in for these products that are using these chips, the cost of compute, the cost of these chips, the margins might not be great on that sort of thing. This could be the thing that takes the whole NASDAQ down at some point in the next year or so. So if you want to buy these things, you know, you tell me how much of that Tesla move over the last month and a half, hundreds of billions of dollars, was associated with this kind of AI pixie dust. I think a lot of it, too. So I just think that there's a lot of stocks that are massively inflated right now, and we're not going to see the benefit. I think it's going to be benefit over years. It's not going to be the benefit in quarters, in the next couple quarters or so. And obviously the Nasdaq well underperforming today um, compared to the other indices. Meantime, let's check out DR Horton reversing course today. Shares starting the day higher, actually hitting all-time highs before then dropping into the red and the reversal hitting the broader home builder space as well. The XHB and the ITB ETFs seeing the same turnaround. The moves come as June home sales drop to their slowest pace in 14 years as the housing market still struggles with short supply. Guy, you flagged this reversal. Interesting moves. DR Horton, I think Pulte also hitting all-time highs yeah. here today before just selling off. Is this more about valuations though than anything else than uh, fundamentals? No, see, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a valuation thing. I, you know, and Carter can speak to the reversals, what they mean for tech technicians and chartists, but pretty significant reversal. When Pulte Homes makes an all-time high, reverses, closes down four bucks. DHI to a certain extent, same type of move. On decent amount of volume, two, three times normal volume. That's what you've been waiting for. And, you know, I'm wrong all the time about a lot of different things, but one thing we've collectively gotten right is this home builder move, and it's been extraordinary. But you've been waiting for something like this, because when it turns, the turn is going to be extraordinarily precipitous and fast. Now, I don't want to make too much out of one day, but if you've been waiting for that type of move, today has it in spades, Courtney. And so what do you do with this kind of move, Karen? Well, so I own something like Whirlpool, which was okay. down 4 or $5 today on really nothing, just sentiment changing in the space. And to me, the multiple is very low. Clearly, it, it has it, it's had a nice run, but I still think that uh, there's more to the story. So it's going to be a little bit bumpy. I'm just going to I'm going to stay with it. I tend not to trade around too much because I'll never be able to get out at the right time, get back in at the right time and hopefully have gains, but and be able to make enough spread to pay taxes. So uh, I get why it's cooled, but still the fundamental supply demand dynamic being very out of whack. We don't have enough houses is still there. The fundamental story, I think, is still there. What are the charts telling you, Carter? Right here again. So if you consider Whirlpool, this is a, a bombed out name that's basing and bottoming, exhibiting impressive relative strength to the market, whereas homeowners in general are steep and uncorrected. Consider this. We know they're making all-time highs, right? The S&P 500 home builder sub-industry group, whether you use ITB. But from their peak in 06, the housing bubble peak from which we retreated to the financial crisis low, they're almost half the performance of the S&P. The problem with buying when you're extended is you often don't ever recoup those relative losses. The semiconductor industry where we started this conversation is still below its dot-com peak on a relative basis. Good points. Well, for more on housing and AI trade troubles, let's go ahead and bring in our next guest is Peter Bookbar. He's CIO of Bleakly Financial. Peter's also a CNBC contributor. Peter, thanks so much for joining us. I know you've probably been listening to some of this conversation. What do you make of what you heard today from TSMC when it comes to what's going on in the chip space, the broader situation and hype about AI? We're all excited about it, but it's still such a 
small part of the business, albeit there's a lot of room for innovation and growth down the pike. Well, that's one thing that the, the hype uh, of AI and excitement of it did uh, in Q2. It would make people forget about what was going on in Q1. And that's what uh, was a slowdown in chip sales to PCs and to smartphones. And even if you look at these big cap tech companies, they all grew single digits. But again, the AI craze, the hope that the Fed is done raising interest rates, sort of whitewashed Q1 and allowed these hopes and dreams to develop in Q2. And earnings now is sort of a reality slash gut check for what's going on on the ground. Most semis go into PCs and smartphones, and those end markets are still contracting. AI is very exciting. NVIDIA is obviously a huge beneficiary of that. But there's a huge chunk of the semi business that is not selling into AI. With respect to uh, D.H. Horton, uh, and one of the old rules of thumb when it comes to trading home builders is you buy them on one times book or less, and you sell them a two times book. Well, D.H. Horton happens to be trading at two times book. And you just have to wonder how sustainable is the housing strength when mortgage rates are at 7%. It's been good so far, but I think investors are just wondering for how much longer. Yeah, and to that point, I understand that when you're looking at the housing market, you just look at it and think it's a little bizarre, the fundamentals that we have going on here right now. For sure, when you have existing home sales that outside of COVID are near the lowest level since 2011. So it's a rather bizarre housing market, but affordability is still the overriding issue, both in terms of the price of a home rising 40% over the past couple of years and a doubling of mortgage rates. Now, home builders have been able to take advantage by buying down uh, mortgage rates, by creating teaser rates. But again, the housing market needs that first-time buyer. And that first-time buyer right now is very strained from an affordability standpoint, raising those sustainability questions with new bills. It's Karen. Let me ask you something. Do you think then, how do we see an equilibrium? I mean, I understand, obviously, prices of homes are higher and there's this odd existing home versus new homes. But it's been a while now that rates have been higher for mortgages. How do you think this stabilizes or plays out? I, I think you need a decline in mortgage rates or you need a decline in home prices. You need one or the other to make home buying more affordable. Within the existing home sale number, first-time purchases, first-time buyers made up 27% of purchases. The record low is 26. Unless you get that first-time buyer, you sort of clog up the housing industry. And I think you need to see some alleviation on the affordability side, whether on the rate side or the price side. And right now, we're not seeing really any give on either. Hey, Pete, so we're probably, what, uh, 20% through S&P 500 earnings right here. We saw some big reactions today, both, you know, up and down. And, and you know, I'm just curious to get a sense of what you thought of the move in TSM and Netflix and um, Netflix that ran into their quarters. But then there's a Johnson & Johnson on the other side that's been pretty weak that had a great day after, you know, having a better than expected quarter. I'm just curious, early readings um, as far as uh, what you're thinking as far as earnings season and how it's shaping up. Well, I think positioning is, is huge here, and we know we've created a very high bar for a lot of companies to leap over when it comes to earnings. But I think, again, we're getting a reminder that overall, it's still a challenging macroeconomic environment. And that's not coming from me. It's coming from the companies. I heard that throughout Q1 earnings calls, and I'm hearing it in many Q2 earnings calls. And when you have a run in the stock market that is solely based on PE multiples, well, eventually you need the E part to substantiate the P part. 
And we, we're just not seeing that yet as earnings continue to decelerate. I mean, going at, coming out of the first quarter, earnings estimate for the S&P were closer to 220. Now they're under 217. Interest rates are remaining very sticky at high levels. And you have, obviously, a, a, a move higher in the multiple. So I think that the challenges here for the next couple of weeks as we digest more earnings, uh, it's going to be tough to exceed um, these expectations. I mean, you get bizarre behavior. I mean, look at Taiwan Semi opened up down 5%, and Apple, one of their biggest customers, opened up in the morning. Obviously, it closed down. But I, I think there's some uh, issues that need to be reconciled, let's say, uh, over uh, the next couple of weeks when we get uh, earnings. Because, again, that's the reality check for the market that has been somewhat forgotten over the past three months since Q1 earnings were reported. Peter Bokvar, thank you very much for joining us here tonight on Fast Money. Let's go ahead and trade this guy. I, I want to go to you. I mean, what we learned today from TSMC, maybe from what we learned at Netflix, what can we apply to big tech, chip, chip names, semiconductor names when we're looking next week at Alphabet, Microsoft, Meta, Intel, and XPC? Right. Well, in terms of Taiwan Semi specifically, I think they told us, which we should have known, they're still highly cyclical businesses. Mm -hmm. And they're up to uptrends and downtrends, and they're suggesting that things have been slowing down on some of their core businesses, which I think we all knew. And again, the AI phenomenon is not enough to offset the slowdown we've seen. Now, AI notwithstanding, that shouldn't affect names like AMD, Qualcomm, and to Peter's point, and Apple as well. So valuations do matter. And Apple at this point trading probably north of 30 times next year's numbers with mid-single-digit earnings, mid-single-digit revenue growth. I don't know. I mean, that sounds a tad expensive in this environment, especially when you have a China slowdown as precipitous as it is. We've got a news alert we want to get to quickly on Digital World Acquisition Corp. Let's get over to Eamon Javers. He's got the details on this. Eamon, what do you know? Courtney, that's right. The SEC is announcing now settlement of fraud charges against that entity. The entity, again, uh, is Digital World Acquisition Corporation. That's a SPAC that was involved in a Donald Trump-linked transaction. It was uh, proposing to purchase uh, an entity uh, called Trump Media and Technology Group Corp., which in turn owns uh, Donald Trump's media organization, Truth Social, his social media platform that he uses today. Now, the SEC is saying that uh, that uh, entity, Digital World, uh, has agreed to pay a potential $18 million penalty here uh, for misrepresenting itself uh, to investors. They're saying that these ch uh, s charges now are settled and that penalty will be paid in the event that that SPAC goes through with a merger transaction uh, in the future, Courtney. So that's the latest from the SEC. Got it. Thank you very much, Eamon Jabbers from Washington, D.C. Well, coming up, a shot in the arm for J&J. Shares jumping after a big earnings beat this morning. So is the pharma stock the right prescription for your portfolio? We'll debate it next. And speaking of earnings, Tesla tanking nearly 10 percent, making it the biggest drag on the Nasdaq 100. So is the electric run finally coming to an end? More on the stalled-out EV stock ahead. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money is back in two. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, 
the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Johnson & Johnson topping the tape. The stock jumping over 6% on better-than-expected earnings and a hike to its full-year forecast. Stronger sales in the company's medtech business, boosting the balance sheet as demand for non-urgent surgeries rebounded during the quarter. Karen, what do you make of this one? I guess it's a good thing people are getting back into getting the health care that they need, certainly helping Johnson & Johnson. Yes, I mean, it was a lot to like. You know, interestingly, though, Elevance had a big day the other day because they said their medical loss ratio was down. Hmm. There wasn't as much spending. So hmm. I guess, all right. Um, good for them. They also have the Kenview swap right. coming up, and I, th- you know, people are excited about that. Uh, I don't know what to make of the talc story here. Mm-hmm. How how much to penalize it, or if it's already baked in? I'm not sure. So I don't own it. It's been a good run, but. Um not for me. Yeah, there's a lot of settlements going on there, potentially, or some litigation that's still in process. What do you see in the charts for J&J? Well, one of the things we know is that when you have a mature growth company, uh, you don't generate a lot of alpha, and that's what this is. This is one of the high flyers, the greatest commercial enterprises, brand names in America, but it has been underperforming the sector. Forget about the market. It's peers um, since 08. Uh, it's just been, it's really been in a dud. Here you can see on the screen, this is a relative performance chart of J&J to its peers, Merck, Lilly, uh, Pfizer. It's straight down. Um, today doesn't change much. I have a day-to-day chart we can look at. Okay, that looks like the EKG chart. That's when I went to the doctor. <laughs> up, down, up, down. It's nothing. Hmm. That's really interesting. And what about this, uh, the Kenview spin out? I mean, obviously, Johnson Johnson still owns 90% of it. How should we be evaluating that going forward, Karen? Well, I think it's a chance for them to basically do a buyback, Mm -hmm. um, which I think would be good for them. But um, I don't know that that changes the overall story that much. All right. Now to a major buzzkill. Check out shares of Discover Financial nosediving here with 16% after missing second quarter estimates on the top and the bottom line. It's the biggest single day drop in more than three years for the company, which also paused share buybacks, speaking of buybacks, and disclosed it's undergoing a federal probe over the misclassification of certain card products. Guy, this jumped out at you, and obviously this is a big fall for this name, about 16%. But is this just about an accounting issue? Is there a fundamental problem here? Is this going to be an overhang for some time? What's going on? Well, you hear accounting issues. I mean, it's it's sell first, ask questions later without question. So that's clearly a big part of this. But the other part is you you hear Capital One a few months ago talk about credit reserves for credit qualities. Then you start to sort of connect the dots and say, you know, Discover Financial sort of on the precipice of that as well. Now, again, a lot of this move is predicated on the accounting, but there are other things at work here. So I look at this and I say, you know what? What does it mean for American Express that we're going to hear mm-hmm. from? And obviously, that's a completely different customer. But as credit becomes a concern, it manifested in moves like this. And this is not a small company. I mean, this is a $25 billion company. So when you see a move like that of that magnitude, I think it's got to give you pause at least 
for what's going on potentially for the consumer and the credit markets. What would you do, though, if you were a holder of Discover on this move? Is it going to fall further? You hang on to it? One of the great uh, early fast money participants, Jeff Mackey, they asked him the similar question. What position would you have? And he said the fetal position. That's one of the great lines in the history. And I think to a certain extent, that's what you're looking at right here. You know, this stock probably still has significant room to the downside. Okay. So to answer your question, I'd, I'd be selling the stock still despite the move. Oh, okay. Well, after the break, what charges up must come down Tesla's big run hitting a wall as investors mull over those results. Details on the slimming margins, the Cybertruck concerns, and all of that has traders grabbing for their seatbelts today. Plus, we're watching some transport stocks after hours too. CSX and Knight Swift on the move after posting results. We'll dive into that trade next. You're watching Fast Money live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla tumbling nearly 10% on the back of last night's earnings. CEO Elon Musk raising some eyebrows by saying deflation, not inflation, is now front and center, adding it could be a big headwind for markets like China, where demand can be hugely influenced by a stronger dollar. Dan, you keep talking about those falling margins here. I and mean, what did you make of some of Elon's comments on the call? I think you sounded crazy. I mean, <laughs> we, I, I'm being serious. I mean, we were sitting here and we were wondering why the stock was unchanged because I thought it didn't sound like a particularly good quarter when you look at that operating market margin below 10%, very nearing like a lot of traditional automakers, that gross margin, which, um, you know, keeps going lower. The fundamentals of this company are not improving. And then you have the CEO who comes on. Um, he, he didn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Just go listen to it, people. You can find it on the internet. It's, it's right there. Um, he, and he was saying things like, you know, the company, this value of the company could be up 10 times of what it is right now. Let's be clear. It was just south of a trillion dollars the other day. Okay. So like, what's your time horizon for that? I don't know. Just seeing... It didn't seem compelling to me. And if you look at the way the stock started to trade once he started speaking on their call, it didn't see an uptick all day long. Okay, so closing down 10 percent, I suspect it goes lower. But again, you know, I mean, the stock rallied 100 percent, 100 percent from the lows after its call three months ago. So I have no idea what it could do. But him sounding off like this um, at a time after the stock has rallied like this is very curious because it used to be, remember a few years ago, he would often come out and say, I think the stock's overvalued here and stuff like that. I don't know. It sounded weird to me. <laughs> Karen, some people look at the stock Tesla and say, this looks like Apple in 2008, 2009. What do you think? Um, I don't even remember what was happening in Apple in 2008 and 2009, to be honest. But I think, though, this just seemed to be part of the rotation of everything that seemed to be working, right? Everything, which was AI, which was Tesla, Netflix, uh, you know, Fang. Today was not working. Mm. And I wouldn't be surprised if that is more than, as you said, more than a one-day phenomenon that we see a rotation into something else. Carter, can you make sense of Tesla moves in charts? It's seemingly well, I, I all mean, over the place. It is. Like, but so many stocks are. What about Meta? 315 to okay. 90, back to 315, right? Or, or GE tripling off its low. Um, what we do know is, and, and it's, it speaks to what you just referred, a first drop in gap on very heavy volume. It's 
it's tempting to say, hey, I've missed this. I should mm. buy some Tesla. It's usually wrong. And some people believe in a three-day rule. Forget about all that. It's just let the dust settle. Very interesting. Yeah, the deflation comments for sure. I mean, Tesla accounted for nearly 10% of all options trading today as well. So let's bring in Mike Koch because he's going to break down this huge day of action. What happened here, Mike? Yeah, so Tesla is usually the busiest single stock option, but it nearly doubled its volume today. And that meant that it represented close to 10% of all options volume, more than 15% actually of all single stock options volume. Calls did outpace puts by nearly two to one. But I would describe the sentiment overall as fairly mixed. Now, if we exclude options that expire tomorrow, the next busiest contract were the September 400 calls, believe it or not. 85,000 or so of those were trading for just under a buck and a quarter a contract. And my guess would be that this is just market participants who have a fear of missing out in the event that it does somehow miraculously rebound to those uh, late 21 highs. Thank you, Mike. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show tomorrow. It's at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Well, coming up, CSX and Knight Swift on the move. Lower after delivering results. We're going to dive into the transport trade that's coming up next. Plus, should you bank on the financials? The regionals outperforming the broader market over the past month as earnings roll in. So is this a spot to park your money? We'll debate it when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks closing out mix. The Nasdaq dropping more than 2%, though. The S&P down more than a half a percent. But the Dow climbing more than 160 points to notch its first nine-day rally since 2017. And we've got an earnings alert for you on two transport stocks. CSX and Knight Swift are both burning rubber after reporting their results. Steve Kobach is standing by with more details. Hi, Steve. Hey, Court. Yeah, that's one way to put it. Let's start with CSX. Shares down about 5% here after hours. Reporting earnings exactly in line with estimates at 49 cents a share. Revenue missing slightly, though, at $3.7 billion. Some other troubling bits from this report, though. CSX saying intermodal volumes were down 10%, while prices were down 9%. CSX CEO saying in a statement along with earnings that despite those headwinds, the company looks forward to, quote, meeting the opportunities ahead in the second half of the year. Now over to the trucking giant Knight Swift. Those shares also down about 3% after hours after missing on the top and bottom lines. Revenue coming in at $1.55 billion versus the $1.6 billion expected. Earnings per share were $0.05 cents short of estimates at $0.49 cents adjusted. Knight Swift blaming soft demand and an uptick in driver turnover for those misses. Company also cutting its full-year EPS guidance to a range between $2.10 and $2.30. That's down from its previous full-year guidance of $3.55 at the high end of the company's estimated range court. Thank you very much, Steve, for a look at those two transports. Before these results, the transports had been trumping the S&P over the last couple of months. Carter, what do the charts tell you about the road ahead for the sector? I mean, you found some interesting nuggets here. Yeah, this will this might be fun. Take a look. We've got some um, comparative charts, and now these are time frames that uh, might or might not be interesting, but I think they are. The first one, two lines, two colors, you can see it. This is from the COVID low. And who is one? Transports versus S&P? The transports. Look at the next one. This is from the absolute low of 09. Who's ahead? Transports or S&P? Transports. Let's look at the next one. This is from the peak of the dot-com, March of 2000. Who's ahead? The blue line, transports. And then let's go back to the beginning of World War II. 
1940. Who's ahead? The transports. There is this thought that this is a cyclical area of the market and it cannot keep up with great growth names that dominate the S&P. Uh, but going back a very long time, transports have outperformed. But the here and now chart, uh, we know this. Transports peaked before the market, right? So the market peaked on the 2nd of January, 2022. Transports peaked two months prior, November. And then, of course, when did the market bottom? It bottomed in October of last year, and the transports bottomed in September. They're leading, and uh, right now, I just don't think they have a lot of upside. Guy, you were nodding your head. Yeah, well, the three U's of the IYT make up 42%. Union Pacific, UPS, and Uber, the three big names. Union Pacific is three times the size of CSX and its index, and it stands to reason that CSX woes will be Union Pacific's woes. So the transports in the form of the IYT will probably start to roll over. So Carter makes a great point that they lead on the way up. They can also lead on the way down. And, you know, you talk about CSX. I mean, they missed on volumes and pricing is not particularly bullish, I think. So it speaks to, again, a slowing economy. So you start to connect all these dots. IYT, which has been a leader on the way up, could actually start to be the leader on the way down. Well, from the rails to regionals and those big banks, too. Let's check out this week today chart of the KRE rallying more than 8 percent. Big moves higher today in Zions, Western Alliance, Goldman and more. Guy, you mentioned on our call today the banks are starting to catch a bit. So do you think that this move can last? Is this a bit of a relief rally after what we had heard from March? What's going on here? That's something we've been talking about now for a while. And what we've said is in the absence of bad news, which we have gotten none since, Mar- well, March, April, These banks, the regional banks, will just sort of levitate higher just as people look for valuation and things that seem to be interesting on a value basis. That's exactly what's happened. But we had Sheila Bear on the show two nights ago, and she thought, and I happen to agree with her, that there are more shoes to drop. So the question is, how long can you stay with this trade until the headlines get in your way? So I don't know the answer to that. It's been a pretty decent run. Valuations are still compelling. I just think there's a tape bomb coming at some point. Ooh, a tape bomb. Karen, what do you make? Well, I don't own any of the regionals. I do own a JP Morgan is my biggest bank position by a lot. Um, That's had a very nice run. Really, really good earnings. Bank America was not, not, it was fine. The earnings were fine, but this has more to run, I think, because it's underperformed by a fair amount. So I'm hanging on to that as well. I just think, I mean, I don't know if there's another shoe to drop or not, but I still would just rather be in the relative safety of the big banks is Mm. so vastly different that to me, it creates a different risk reward. That's where I want to be. Is there value though, Dan, in some of the regional names that have fallen pretty far as you see deposits normalizing? Probably. And I guess that what we learned in in March is that the the FDIC got their back, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the things I'll just say, Karen just made a really good point. I mean, she's been steadfast on these large money centers, and they have been a great place to be. I mean, if you look at Wells Fargo, it's getting back up towards its 52-week highs. J.P. Morgan is making consistent new 52-week highs. Bank of America has been a big laggard, but it's had a big run here. You know, I, I, to be frank, I had a a small, like, put position into earnings season in just the banks and the XLF, just thinking that if there were any hiccups there, there would be a space that people probably are keeping on a very short leash, but the fact that they were good results and they kept on going, it's kind of good to see that if you're in this broadening out camp. But I think the guy's point, it's also value right now where it's probably hard to find good value in other areas. And that might be one of the things why people are kind of, you know, picking at energy here too after a difficult first six months of the year. Well, coming up, Netflix with its worst day since December, but the stock's still up 100% since last July. Carter Worth set to give us his review of the charts when Fast Money returns. 
We'll go back to Fast Money. Netflix under pressure on the back of its Q2 report. Shares dropping over 8% today as Wall Street looks for clarity on how the streaming giant plans to turn new subscriber ads into revenue growth. The stock seeing its worst day since December, but shares are still up nearly 50% this year. So is there more room for Netflix to run? Let's ask the chart master, Carter Word. It's a bad setback. And again, we're, we're talking about the same principle over and over. If something is trading and then it has a shocking move, news-related, mm. up or down, it used to be called a late open. The specialist on the floor couldn't get it open, 938, 941, and then it would gap up or down. You don't get that without news. The biggest gaps are FDA approval, right, mm-hmm. or miss. You, you have epic moves. This drop in gap, no different than that in Tesla, they're very rarely confined to one day. But let's look at the charts and see where it might go. Um, the first here is with the 150-day moving average, and you see that's annotated at 360. Look at the next chart. The trend line, in effect, since the low, is the same exact level. Now, that's quite a bit a ways down from here. Final chart. My hunch is we get to the midpoint of this very well-defined channel uh, that you see here. So that's another um, up to 7 to 9% from here. Dan, there's a lot of news, obviously, going around with Netflix, of course, with the earnings, but also with the strikes that are going on in Hollywood. How do you put it all together when you're looking at Netflix as a trade opportunity? So it's interesting. We were talking about last night as the news was coming out. And, you know, the narrative had been that these guys are going to be able to weather the storm uh, like very better than, let's say, some of their other competitors and the like here. But, you know, I, I think the, the North American saturation thing, it, it goes around every couple of years, you know, and then they actually defy it a little bit. So um, I think the Carter's point, I mean, if you're thinking about this as an investment and, you know, Karen bought this really well last year when it was down, what, 70 percent from its all time highs. Valuation was really good. It's less so now. Right. And now the headwinds are a bit more challenging and the uncertainty about a strike and the like and how long that's going to last and what sort of content they're going to have to hold up. So to me, I think it may Makes sense. To Carter's point, as a trader, I'd say let it come back to that moving average. Let it come back to that uptrend because we're saying this again and again now. How many stocks just went parabolic in the last couple of months, getting divorced from the fundamentals of the companies? If that stock was trading at that moving average, let's just say, still up on the year, let's say 25, 30 percent of the year, and it put the quarter up, it probably wouldn't have sold off more than a couple percent or so. You know? I do wonder what's going to happen when all the users start to figure out what plans they are or aren't on. I don't even know which one I'm on. I should probably look it up and see how many people are using it. <laughs> well, I guess they can't as much anymore. Well, coming up, it is a Barbie world starting tomorrow for Mattel. While the stock's already up 17% this month in anticipation, will loads of pink continue to translate into lots of green? Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of SAP. Catch that full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Well, lights, camera, Barbie. The iconic doll is taking the big screen tomorrow. Estimated to bring in $140 million this weekend. That number keeps going higher. While the movie has everyone going pink, will it be enough for Mattel as it tries to build out of the beginning of a toy movie universe? Let's bring in Jeffrey's equity analyst, Andrew Erkowitz, to discuss. Andrew, thanks so much for being here. Whatever happens at the box office is not necessarily material for Mattel as far as the dollar, the ticket sales dollars, but it's about this Barbie halo. I think it's probably a little bit about trying to reinvigorate older women remembering the days when they used to play with Barbies. So perhaps they'll buy them for their children. Am I right in that? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great way to think about it. And, and by the way, thanks for having me. Uh, you're right. Uh, the, the actual revenue from the movie will be uh, largely very little. Uh, they get us a very small licensing fee. 
after the movie makes a profit. So really, the opportunity here for Mattel uh, is threefold. That branding, building that strong brand, reinvigorating it with the audience, reminding the audience of the greatness of Barbie. Uh, and you see that through all the licensing products. that we, we, We've found somewhere around 100 products that are being licensed from Barbie this year. Uh, toy sales is another one. And then the, then the other last one is, if this movie is very successful, Mattel is sitting on a large catalog of IP that they could all bring back to the movie and kind of replay what they're doing here. So I want to kind of break that down. You talked about, I, I did a story on this myself, and Mattel does have over 100 brand partnerships for products, and they get a licensing fee from that. Most likely, I understand, a flat fee, and then some percentage of sales, of course, it depends on how all those deals are structured. But is there any way to value that opportunity for Mattel? A very loose rule has been in the licensing world, uh, when you license IP for a movie, the licensed products typically do anywhere between 1 and 2x the box office. If the movie does $600 million, that means the licensed products would do somewhere between 600 and $1.2 billion, right? Simple math. And then they would get somewhere between 5 and 15%, depending on the product, depending on the structure. You know, and so as you start to do your math, you're like, maybe it could be a $50 million opportunity, maybe a $200 million opportunity. It doesn't sound like a big dollar value, but licensing revenue is very high margin and goes straight to the bottom line. And then, of course, all of this, to your point, kind of lays a blueprint, potentially, for Mattel to look at the rest of its intellectual property and see what they can do with it. How do you value that? And what would be the difference? Because when I'm looking at something like Barbie, yes, anyone can play with Barbie of any age and any gender. However, it does tend to skew towards younger females. And I don't know mm -hmm. that the other intellectual property really hits that same demographic, does it? Uh, I would I would tend to agree. I think it's I think it goes by IP by IP basis, right? The next okay. movie is probably going to be Hot Wheels related. You know, very different demographic, very uh, you know, build brand, maybe not as big of a license opportunity. Uh, but again, it puts you know Hot Wheels at the forefront. After that, you might get Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Currently not in the toy aisle, right? So if that movie would be successful, you tap into nostalgia. All of a sudden, it shows up in the toy aisle. So it actually ended up might be more meaningful to Mattel on a movie like that than, say, a Barbie. And then, you know, you look at some of their deep IP, stuff that has not been around in a long time. He-Man. Uh, they have an entire space uh, uh, space astronaut line um, that's even before my time. Uh, you know, so there is opportunity here. It's not one size fits all. Uh, but if you can start to show success here from an investor perspective, because that licensing, licensing revenue is, is so important to the bottom line, you could maybe start to see a re-rating here uh, in the stock. Andrew, it's Karen. Just to further that point a little bit, when you think about re-rating it, it's sort of been, I don't know, mid high teenish multiple. They've had a nice turnaround in the last couple of years. How do you think about what value there could be? Where, should this, where could the stock trade? Yeah. So if you think about uh, the toy industry, right, multiples tend to be, to your point, 13 to 16, 17 times. Uh, Mattel peaked at 18 times uh, late last year. Uh, you know, and that's and that's because the toy industry grows at GDP plus one or two percent. And that's it. Uh, it's a very competitive market. Uh, and so if all of a sudden you, you say, gee, there is new revenue opportunity that is effectively free money, right? That, that licensing revenue goes to the bottom line. Uh, and they have a big catalog of IP, right? Mattel's known for Barbie, Hot Wheels, and that's about it. Uh, you start to think, 
gee, maybe that IP portfolio can 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 grow out, and maybe this multiple should be high teens, low twenties. Their earnings growth can now be GDP plus something plus something else, maybe mid to high single digits, uh, and you know it, it becomes a more interesting story at that point. Um, I would caution: we are neutral, though we see the opportunity here. The next movie, the next movie, the next movie is far enough out. The issues in the toy aisle will probably still weigh on the stock before we get there. Fascinating conversation, Andrew. Thank you very much. Let's trade no, thank it. you. Guy, uh, first of all, did you have a rock'em, sock'em robot? I had, so, so, of course I did. I had Those tons things. of Barbies, tons of Barbies. I'm very biased in this conversation. So would you rather oh, I'll, I'll Mattel play the game with or you. Hasbro? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think there's some tailwinds here. To, listen, this is a secular declining industry without question. Go back to Mattel's earnings on April 26. It was a disaster. I mean, you're talking about sales growth, negative 21 percent year over year. It was just across the board NG. And that speaks to what's been going on. They'll get a bump off the back of this and maybe last a couple quarters. So maybe there is a trade here. So to answer your question, Mattel, but I don't think this is long lasting. Maybe they'll do an American Girl doll movie at some point to get another. But short of that, you know, you sell this stock if it rallies 12 to 15 percent from here. They need something to jazz up those sales of American Girl dolls. That's for sure. Carter, what are the charts telling you? Kind of a stealth rally over the last month in anticipation, perhaps, of this movie? Yeah, a bit. But I mean, I think it's consider J&J. If that's a mature growth company, this is a mature no growth company. Mm. Earnings last year at a buck 20 were the exact same they were in 1995. A buck twenty-two. That's thirty years later with the same earnings results. Um, this is not the kind of thing to fool with. If you see here on the on the on the chart, we have a double top going back. The peak was two thousand thirteen, and one before that in nineteen ninety-eight. Its relative performance, the market peaked in nineteen eighty-two. Uh, mm. Why do it? Yeah, I think Barbie sales peaked too in the late nineties, somewhere yeah. around there. So we'll see what happens after this movie. Well, coming up next, your final trade. It's already time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn and start with Carter. You want to buy inflation-adjusted bonds. The symbol is TIP, iShares Tips. Karen? First, thanks. Thanks for being here. Playing hurt, filling in. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm long Netflix was long going into today. I'd like to buy more, but I, I think i got to wait at least three days. Dan? Yeah, you know, and I love having Carter on the desk because he, you, you're going to buy it at that uptrend. Just like if you want to buy the SMH, you're going to buy that at the similar uptrend, too. So to me, uh, SMH, I'd be a seller here to that uptrend. I want to amplify what Karen just said. You're a pro. Thanks. You're not feeling great, but you came here to do CNBC's Fast Money. Right. That's the Ohio in you. You know it. IBM, I thought the quarter's actually pretty good. As people rotate out of high growth, they'll get into IBM. Well, thank you all for joining us and watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer.
From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 